welcome to the Dr. Body, Mind, Soul podcast. My name is Jude and I'm a doctor, healer, seeker and guide here to help you navigate the world of alternative therapies. In this new season, we will be welcoming witchy women, asking authors, getting geeky and sharing seeker stories so we can all have the knowledge and confidence to access truly holistic healthcare. Today, I am asking author Dr. David Hamilton about his new book, Why Woo Woo Works. Dr. David has been on the podcast before discussing one of his 11 books, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body, and I'm so excited to have him back. Today, we will be exploring the evidence and the surprising science within all the woo-woo that he has so kindly collated for us all. Just a little side note, this episode was recorded on an Instagram Live and we did have a few technical issues, so the audio isn't perfect. However, I really think this conversation is valuable and I hope that that doesn't distract too much. Enjoy. And I'm just so excited about discussing your new book, Why Woo Woo Works. I took 15 pages of notes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I really got so much information in that book. And I'm so grateful for you for writing it. Because what I I think it really does is I think it really challenges this notion that evidence does not exist for alternative therapies, which I think is the um, what I hear all the time when I talk to my colleagues. Yeah, that that just it's a blanket statement. Oh, there's no evidence for alternative therapies, and and, and it makes me kind of smile because it's not necessarily said from a point of being an expert and all of the knowledge available, and then coming to a conclusion. It's just it doesn't sound plausible. Uh, and I, I, you know, I understand that. I mean, I, it's, it's a, it's a general sentiment. It's one of the reasons why I decided to pull a lot of that information out. You know, really just to, to educate all of us and say, look, there really is stuff, a lot of really good and helpful uh, stuff out there. I mean, that's that's exactly why I've started Dr. Body, Mind, Soul. You know, so Dr. Body, Mind, Soul is an online resource which will be growing and expanding to share the evidence that exists around alternative therapies to empower us all to make the best and most informed decisions we can about our health. So I think your book really contributes to that. And it not only contributes to challenging that notion that evidence doesn't exist, but it also challenges the language that we use. I really love just, it's just, again, your use of language to reframe something that we sort of get a sense of, but don't quite, um, can't quite articulate it. And you do that so well in this discussion around active ingredients. So if we can just um, drill down into... Yeah, so empathy, for example, for what, you know, a few of my favourite studies, uh, one that was over 700 people, I believe it was 715 people, who had gone for a, to see their GP uh, for symptoms of, of the common cold, and this was over a period of 18 months. And they were also asked, without the, without the GP's knowledge, to give a score as to how much empathy that the doctor showed them. 
and 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 they were they filled out a questionnaire. It was called Care Consultation on Relational Empathy. Do you know those who scored their doctorate ten out of ten, perfect score for empathy, they recovered about fifty percent faster than everyone else, and they had a higher, a much higher immune response than everyone else. There was another study, a European study, I believe it was in, in Holland, I think, uh, near almost 300, or almost 200 males with prostate cancer. And again, when their doctor had the highest levels of empathy, they had, even three months later, they had higher levels of killer cells, natural killer cells in their bloodstream, even three months later. And there's a, a number of st studies over a range of medical conditions that show something very, very similar. Empathy shown to a person seems to translate to a better outcome. And there's a few different ways that it works. Uh, another thing that I mentioned is even, you know, language spoken. I mean, uh, there's one, one study I, I call the power of positive consultation. And everyone was given either a positive consultation when the doctor was saying, you know, uh, we don't know exactly what's wrong with you, but you know, you'll be fine in a few days, blah, blah, blah. But something really positive and, and just don't worry about it kind of thing. That In contrast with patients who were given a kind of negative consultation, and that was when the doctor was to say, well, do you know, we don't really know what's wrong with you. You could try the following, and they would give them like a, a very, very low dose of vitamin, I think B1 or something, considered a placebo. But amazingly, it, almost twice as many people recovered and were symptom-free within a few weeks, four weeks, uh, when they had a positive consultation versus whether they had a negative consultation, because the language itself is an active ingredient. It gets in our heads. And so we have this, uh, you know, if a doctor says something reassuring with empathy, it makes us feel better, and then that itself can have an effect. Yeah. Another active ingredient is nature. You know, who would have thought that even just being around the sights and sounds of nature can have an effect, but they do. In fact, the, the sight and the sound of nature directly impact our nervous system. Uh, our ancient ancestors lived in lush natural surroundings. The moment we recognise something natural, that nature, it triggers that ancient relaxation response and the body moves into a restorative state simply because we... We can see a tree, or we see grass. You know, one one of my favourite studies in this actually, patients were recovering in hospital beds, but half of them had a view of nature. You know, the, the hills and mountains and trees, and and the other half had a view of a brick wall. And it wasn't a brick wall put there for the study. It just so happened it was the wall of another hospital building. But you know, those who saw nature, they recovered faster in their physical and in their mental health. So all of these things become active ingredients that we can actually harness. Alternative therapies in general do harness a lot more of these active ingredients when they're considering a treatment, when they're having a consultation. So often there is time. From my personal experience, a consultation with an alternative practitioner lasts on average about an hour, which makes you feel as though you're being looked after and that you matter yeah. and that you care, that, that, that you're being cared about, which is healing in itself. It's another active ingredient. Um, and as you pointed out, you know, the music that is played within a consultation is often considered and relates to nature. Yeah, so it puts the body into a restless I, I'm glad you mentioned the sound, you know, even the sounds of nature, even just na natural sounds. But in actual fact, those things haven't been shown in scientific studies to reduce pain, simply because what they do is they, they send the body into a restorative mode towards a, a healthier state. I went for a, a session with an alternative therapist. There was, it was a lovely warm room as well. 
Uh, and the therapist was softly spoken and very kind and, and very, very high in empathy. And there was, you know, photographs on the walls of family. And, and it just felt really, I felt cared for, you know, really nurtured and looked after. And I thought, you know what, at the very least, I'm going to have a really good rest here. But you know what? That is part of, a, that is a restorative experience and it is part of what makes a person move towards towards healing. Well, that's right. I mean, rest and decompression of the nervous system, moving it from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic system impacts the, impacts your immune system. I mean, they're so intrinsically interlinked. So it's not, as you say, it sounds woo-woo, it's physiological there's so much in the language that we use and you cited a really good example of this in your book that I wanted to bring up and um, because it's um about around crystal um therapy and now that is something that sounds to me very woo-woo yeah. Even to me, it sounds very <laughs> Every single time I've ever mentioned to anyone who's a professional of any form, I discuss crystals, even though <laughs> some of them are friends and always very supportive, I can see them kind of, the, the mind just goes blank for a second because they don't know what to say. I can't believe you've actually talked about crystals in your book. You know, sometimes when it comes to alternative therapies and practices, when we call things woo-woo, it's because we're misunderstanding people's language. Like for example, oftentimes I've heard someone saying, I'm programming my crystal. And anyone that I've ever seen scientifically or professional hears that, they roll their eyes, oh, that's a lot of kind of woo-woo. But in actual fact, when someone says they're programming their crystals, it is really just, in psychology, it's these science of association. For example, in the book, I used an example when I said, imagine that you had a really important goal and you were visualizing your goal. And uh, to help you, if you happen to pick up a pebble from your garden and hold the pebble in your hand and roll it over in your hand while visualising that goal, then what you're, what you're doing now psychologically is you're creating an association between, and also a neuro association in your brain, between the, the goal that you have and the feeling and the sight and the, the sensation of this pebble. What you would find is if later in the day, if you were to pick up that pebble or have it in your on your desk or even take it out of your purse or your bag and see it again, you would spontaneously recall your goal. But the idea is the same. If I was to, instead of picking up a pebble from my garden, I was to hold a crystal and visualise my goal. Well, looking at the crystal, feeling it, then the next time I pick up or see that crystal or take it out of my bag or on my desk, again, I'll have created a psychological association between the goal and what the crystal looks like and feels like. But in science, we often dismiss things as woo-woo because if I just said, I have a crystal and I program it every day, then people would say, oh, that's pseudoscience. But in a sense, all I'm actually doing, I'm going to use the science of association to attach an idea to a physical sensation so that when I recall the physical sensation, that will spontaneously recall my goal. So sometimes you find there's just a discord in our understanding of each other's language going on. I, I know that that's one of the things that I was trying to do in, in the book is to take some of these woo-woo sounding things and say that, that it's just a, a pre-existing notion that we have that something is, is woo-woo. In actual fact, a lot of these things, there is a lot of basis in science behind them, and it's sometimes just that we have a pre-existing notion. The thing that I, I've heard a lot is people just dismissing the entire field of sight, you know, distant healing, prayer, telepathy, 
all that kind of stuff. Again, just because it doesn't sound like it could possibly be plausible. Uh, but again, there's a lot of research in that. There's a lot of statistical evidence, just as there's a lot of research in statistical evidence on Reiki. That is something that I have been very sceptical and judgmental, really, about in the past until I read your book. And then suddenly, I'm suddenly much more open to it, which I think is the beauty of you writing this book. Could you go through some of the some of the physiological explanations that um, have been explored with Reiki? And can you also expand into what a Reiki mimic is? Because I found that really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah so, so first of all, Lots of research has shown and, and confirmed, even the randomised controlled trials, confirmed that Reiki is highly beneficial for reducing pain and symptoms of uh, depression, anxiety, stress. And so the question is, given that, how you know how does it actually, actually work? Uh, and so what a number of studies do is they compare a, a practitioner doing Reiki with a what's called a mimic Reiki practitioner. And mimic Reiki is the placebo if you will. You know, some studies call it a sham Reiki, but I don't really like that term, sham. It makes it sound like it's just, you know, it's not real. So a mimic practitioner is someone for the purposes of a scientific study has been, has watched videos of a Reiki master giving a Reiki session. And what they do, they're they're an actor, essentially, who mimics exactly the hand positions. So if a Reiki master spends 45 minutes placing their hands on different positions, in a person's body during a session, then the mimic Reiki person will do exactly the same thing that they've watched the practitioner doing in the video. So when it comes to the scientific study, people, some patients receive actual Reiki and some people receive mimic Reiki. And, and what you find in most of the studies is those who've got the actual Reiki. I mean, first of all, the first thing you see is regardless of mimic or actual, this happening from just the black setting. But in most of the sessions, what you see is the person doing the actual Reiki gets more benefit than the person who gets the mimic Reiki. So there's some, as well as just a restorative experience, there is actually something else going on uh, as well. Now, what has been explored for holistic therapies is looking at a couple of the different mechanisms that could be, that could be causing this effect. Uh, and one of them seems to be the righteousness of the healer's state. And what I mean by that, is that if I am, let's say I am a, a Reiki practitioner and I'm working with a client, then my state will impact on the client. I mean, for example, if I feel angry and stressed, then that's not going to help my, the client because my, if I'm in a state of what I call service or what Reiki practitioners call service, like my hope here is that what I'm doing is of benefit, is of service to you. So now that state can somehow impact the client. And what the research is for is when we are in some form of restorative state, service state, it can help to put the other person in a restorative state. One of the pieces of research done on this looked at the the way the heart gives out an electromagnetic field. I mean, here, here's how that, that kind of works. The, we all have what's called a biofield. And I, I admit the term biofield sounds a bit woo-woo, but a biofield is really just any electric or magnetic field that's generated by a biological organism. Now, if I plug my iPhone charger into the wall, then the charge is called electricity. 
and we just call it electricity. What to a physicist, there's an electric field in the wire that's also generating a magnetic field. But instead of plugging into the wall, if the electricity is generated by a biological process, for example, the movement of ions like calcium, sodium, potassium in and out of cells, we call it a bioelectric field. And the term bio is really just used in physics to distinguish the source of the electric and magnetic field, to distinguish it from a wall socket. So we all have a biofield by virtue of the movement of ions in and out of trillions of cells and the movement of blood flow. So what you find is areas of the body where you have most blood flow at the heart and the brain, for example, then you have more of a biofield because there's much more activity there. So for example, the magnetic field from the heart is about 60 times stronger than it is from the brain which itself is significantly stronger than is anybody else in the body. So, so some of the work that's investigated this has said, okay, uh, how is that magnetic field affected by a healer state? And it turns out if a healer, if any person is in a state of love or empathy or compassion, anything that is, you know, heart-centered, which is what a healer needs to be, then their field, biofield, is much bigger much more, much more powerful than it is if someone is in a state of, say, anger or stress or judgment or disbelief, for example. So some of the researchers looked at saying, okay, if my state is in this positive, does that affect the client? And it turns out work at the HeartMath Institute showing that if I, for example, was in a, a, a positive heart-focused state, then the rhythms of my heart seem to impact the brain waves of the other person. So one of the explanations emerging for maybe why it is that in studies that compare someone doing actual Reiki with mimic or fake Reiki is possibly to do with that transference of state. In some ways, all of this is so intuitive. I mean, if you're, and again, goes to explain the power of an alternative healing session, because the healer themselves intentionally is aware of their state and aware of the impact this their state has on their patient. And I am just imagining, I've got, honestly, I'm, I'm working tonight, so I'm working at five. And if you can just imagine the state of stress that doctors are, doctors nursing everyone within the NHS is in, and the transference of our state that the, is felt on the other side, the patient. There's an impact, there's an impact, and, and it's far from healing. And that's, I, I want to make it really, really clear, because I think that my message can be a bit misconstrued at times, because it's sort of, I want to make it really clear that I'm not blaming any doctor for being stressed or for the approach that they use. This is a systemic issue. If you give, you know, at the moment, the NHS is under such an enormous amount of pressure. We have so many time constraints that we need to see people in. Yeah. Um, the GP has a seven minute consultation. And I have to say the employers, the NHS, treat their NHS staff really poorly. And I've always done that. They've undervalued them. They were overworked and were underpaid. That's just across the board. Now, if you have a workforce that is in a caring profession that is not cared for and doesn't feel that care and then is put under a lot of pressure to deal with their patients, I think this honestly has an enormous impact on the amount of healing that we can really do within our session, within our consultation. You can't pour from a 
empty cup. And when we're working in these conditions, I think even when I have the best intentions, I cannot always approach my consultations with the empathy I would like to give. And I certainly don't have the time I would like to spend, let alone put calming music in my consultation room. I mean, remember, I'm in A&E and the music I've got are pinging emergency alarms, which again is not going to put anyone, the workers or the patients in a restorative, open hearted state, which is best for the nervous system and is best for our immune system by virtue of that. So it's tough. It's tough. And I just want to stress, I would like to see a lot more care given to our staff, the NHS staff, so that they are able to give the care that our patients deserve. 100%. 100%. And I, I, I really think that's the root, the root of a lot of the, the difficult consultations and anger that we are faced a lot with from our patients, which, to be honest, is understandable. I have empathy with them. They're on long waiting lists. They're frustrated that nobody knows what's wrong with them. They're frustrated they cannot get a GP appointment. Um, they're frustrated that in an A&E department, they're, they're then told that this is not the appropriate place for them to get investigations quicker they're frustrated they're they're annoyed and I understand that and we're humans too on the receiving end of that and it's really hard to be able to approach approach them with the empathy I would often like because as a workforce we're definitely over overworked and um, undervalued um, by our employer and therefore don't even have the experience that we draw from to be able to deliver an empathic mm. consultation for our patients. Mm. Especially when you're seeing one patient after another and it's constant, it's like, you know, it's just non, it's literally non-stop. It's seven minutes per, per person. You know, I, I can imagine you know, is a very stressful environment, particularly because you're dealing with people's health and you want to do the best for every single person. And what I think is so important about raising awareness about alternative therapies is that these are settings that do have the luxury of time. And and I think that that's really important because doctors don't have that luxury. And therefore, it is important to be able to refer patients on to those practitioners. Who would really benefit from them themselves? Yeah, yeah. And I think what we'll see again over the next decade or so, and, and you know, you're doing some really good work here by helping to popularise this kind of stuff. Because maybe in a decade from now, these things will be much more accepted. You know, because it's not that the science didn't doesn't exist now. It just takes a little while for people to realise that there is actually a logical explanation for some of these kind of things. And Reiki, for example, is very beneficial and other restorative holistic experiences are very, very beneficial. We just didn't know that there was evidence available for them. And I think sort of increasing the awareness that these things are beneficial, especially in the medical field, is so important right now. The healthcare system is overloaded with a lot of things that really medicine is not the best treatment for. So we need to be aware as doctors of the evidence that for all of alternative therapies to give us the knowledge and confidence to refer our patients that the medical system does not serve to a system that is much better suited 
to serve that that group of patients. Yeah, it's, it's something I, 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 I tried to get across it in the book that I, I think we should be looking at the best of the West with the best of all the rest. I love well. that. <laughs> and I, I always believed that there needed to be, that there was something to be had of a fusion. And that would ease a lot of the pressure on some of the health services. But at the moment, there isn't really a fully, there isn't an equipped integration there formally in as many places as, as you need to have. But there's something I suggested in the, in the book is, is maybe that's something we can work towards, you know, so that, you know, doctors are able to focus more on the patients who really need the Western interventions are going to be so useful and helpful for helpful for them. And they could uh, refer some of the patients who would benefit more from a restorative treatment, a restorative setting, who would respond better to that in the long term and refer them to that and say, I think the worry, though, is, you know, and I've had this conversation with some GPs, the, the worry it was, what if, you know, if holistic therapies become more popular, what if someone has a pain and they go to see a therapist rather than a doctor, but the pain is masking something much more serious. And that, so that was a genuine worry. And that's something I pointed out in the book as well, is maybe there could be some form of training where doctors are able to train and accredit holistic practitioners who wish to be associated with the health services so that the doctors can say, this is the sort of things that you need to be looking out for, this kind of checklist. And if there's any of these signs, before you do anything, immediately they get referred to the doctor so that it can, the doctor doesn't have to be as worried about missing something very important. You know, so some something there that would help to integrate from both sides. There are many patients that we have fully investigated, fully investigated, and we know that there is no medical or structural, I'd rather say structural, problem that the medical system can actually help any further we really need to refer those patients on there are limitations and I see the limitations um, in my daily um, working life and um, which has been what's inspired Dr Body Mind Soul and I'm really advocating for an integrated approach to our healthcare. that's very much what what, what I'm advocating for well, that's been so interesting, David. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for, for hanging out here. It's always a good conversation that we have anyway, so it's been really, really delightful. I'm so grateful, as I say, for the work that you've done to collate so much evidence to support alternative therapies in one place. It's been super supportive for me and my mission. And as I've said, 15 pages of notes, lots of information coming out. Wow. Um, so I'm really excited to share all of that. And um, yeah, keep doing the work you're doing. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. If you want to read my book review on why Woo Woo works or to find other books that explore the evidence to support an alternative approach, head to my website, www.drbodymindsoul.com. And you can also sign up to my newsletter, where you can receive your holistic prescription with a monthly dose of research reviews, recipes, and a chance for you to ask our next author any questions you may have. I hope you're all keeping holistically healthy. Until next time, Dr. Body, Mind, Soul.